Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Duke Basketball Junkies, uh, a deflationary uh, episode where we are going to attempt, uh, I'm going to attempt with my friend Peter Rowe uh, to deal with... Eulogize. 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 Recap the the game, the season, uh, and really work through our feelings, I think, as well as some basketball analysis. Um so hopefully you guys are on board with this. It's been a few days. We didn't have the heart to come on and talk about it right away. Wanted to rewatch a little bit of it, and um, you know, process, process. It's it was, it was difficult. It was difficult to have the season end so suddenly. Uh, even though the the previous couple games, Peter, almost ended suddenly as well. Um, how are you feeling today on Wednesday, three days later? I feel great, Mike. You. Feel- <laughs> Do you? You feel you're, you're over it? Uh, Is that what you're saying? Obviously, it's sad. Yeah. Very sad. But uh, when was the last time this team played where you're like, you know, wow, this is such a dominant team? The stretch of the Florida State ACC championship game. The second game. half of the Florida State yeah. game, they played great. They played great. But then all the other games in the past month and a half, two months, two and a half months, they really never got true separation between them and other teams. So I was hopeful. I was very hopeful. But I sort of knew that realistically this was just one of many good teams, one of many very good teams. Right. So You would let go of some expectations of dominance. I was hoping for, for sure. a Final Four run and a, and a sixth, sixth ship. Um, you know, some people have said this is probably Coach K's last truly great realistic chance, which, you know, may or may not be true. I remember we said that early in the season, like, hold on to this one because... Well, early in the season, th- we just said, is this season going to have any drama? Because I think I think we had the sixth in the bag. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think in our first episode we ever recorded, you, you termed the NCAA, I think you called it the potpourri of randomness, you know... A couple years ago, yeah. Yeah. And, and that thought has run through my mind a lot right. in the so, last few days. So the, the narrative we construct out of sort of what happens in the tournament suits what happened. But, it, yeah. you know, one one little basket goes the other way in the second round. And we, we're out the first weekend. One little thing goes the other way in this game. And we're on to the Final Four and beating by, our chest. By you one know? little thing, you mean the Matt McQuaid, I'll just throw it up over my head and hope it goes in basket. That one? <laughs> there's so many. There's so many little things. I mean, I went back and I looked at, at like uh, Javin deciding to contest that that wide open dunk, uh, late the in the game, and then and the guy picked up an and one. Yeah, uh, that's one ja- point. Javin's best game of his career. Javin, yeah, I agree. Uh, perhaps his best game. Ferocious blocks, a lot of rebounds. He even was able to convert some baskets with a defender sort of close by, which typically doesn't happen. Yeah, so there's there there was like a few things we were aware of that were like Achilles' heels that we had been talking about. One was sort of Javin like sometimes playing uh, a little weak, especially on the offensive end. That's what you've been on him about. Uh, two, our three point shooting and our reliance on it, and like certain guys having the green light or yeah. not. No qualms but with that. This, game. this weekend, yeah. this past weekend, I mean Trey Jones basically wins the game with three point shooting, which was not how we would have prescribed. Like our game plan, and then three point shooting against Michigan State is not the reason we lost the game. Correct. We went seven for twenty one. Uh, we had talked about free throws. Free throws ended up coming back to haunt us at the very end. Obviously, tragically, on both ends uh, were tragic. The front end was tragic. The back end was also, yeah. ironically, very tragic. 
But ultimately, you know, ultimately my feeling on this game, and I think we'll start with this game, and then we'll look at the whole weekend, and then we'll look at the whole tournament, and then the whole season. Uh, this game, I actually thought we made winning plays. Most of the guys played very well. Javin had a big game for him. Zion had a good game, not his best. Barrett passed when appropriate in the first half and scored in the second half until the last minute or two. You would have said he played a really great game. Uh, Trey Jones. Def- I would not say he played a really great game. Okay. Trey, he, Trey, he didn't play a terrible game. Okay. He's getting he didn't, Yeah, it wasn't one of his worst games. Yeah. Trey Jones didn't do much on offense, but played, I thought, really good defense. Held Cassius to a pretty inefficient, even though a good game, a pretty inefficient game. He had. Nine two. and twenty-two or nine and twenty-three. And down the stretch, he had that block, which was incredible. Just, just, there were there, winning there were some blocks and yeah. we couldn't recover, which would have been the difference. Some deflections, you know? sure. I just thought the team played one of its best defensive games, and the thing that had worked for us all season was our ability to score. And in this game, Michigan State had some good, some good preparation. You know, they, they had some awesome preparation. They some, took Zion out of the game in the second half, and we never adjusted. They double and triple teamed him in the paint. He couldn't they, do anything. He was spinning into guys. But they they knew. Double they and knew. Triple team, they yeah. should have an immediate, okay, this is what we're going to do when Zion gets double and triple team. We're going to make a pass here, make another pass, wide open three. There should be a wide open three, but there wasn't. There weren't even shooters on the floor. There weren't shooters on the floor, and that speaks to, I think, an overall season strategy. But what I would, we turned basically we turned the ball over seventeen times and we forced some shots. And and we knew that right? going in, like the last few games, we weren't tight to start off games in the first half. People were careless, and then they started trying to force the ball into Zion, especially in the second half. And we just kept turning the ball over, trying to get the ball to Zion in the post. Right. Credit to Michigan State for playing really good post defense, for being very physical. Yeah. And this is a game that had a really loose whistle. Um, and that, I think it ended up you playing mean, the Michigan State's advantage. You mean tight whistle? No, they didn't. They didn't call a lot of fouls uh, either way. Like we only had three fouls in the, in the second half until there was twenty seconds okay. left to go in the game. Yeah. And Michigan no, no, State, I, I agree. and they, they let physical play go, yeah. and so those entry passes to Zion like were contested in a way that that might have been called in other games. It wasn't called in this game, and I'm not blaming the refs. Yeah. I'm just pointing out Michigan State played well to the game flow. Um, they made things tough on us on offense, and just frankly, we we made we were a few bad decisions. We made a few too many bad decisions on offense, and a few just too many physical mistakes on offense with turning the ball over. But I thought we actually showed up, played hard. Um, offense was stagnant. There was no listen. You you pound the ball into Zion. If if he if they're double and triple teaming him, which they were. If he didn't turn the ball over, I mean, he was still able to score a few times, but he just kicks it back out to RJ, and then RJ does his ISO. That's the extent of the offense. Right. Because they were packing it in, especially down the stretch, especially with the last 10 minutes, they knew we were going to Zion and RJ, and they were ready. Yeah. And we were not ready to to have shooters around them. We did not have the right... We didn't have anyone. Yeah, we didn't have anyone. We and frankly, RJ wants the ball in his hands, wants to take the last shots. Yeah, picks up a foul in the last one, but forced a couple other ones up. Even that play, the very last play where he gets fouled. I don't know if you rewatched it a few times, but Zion is cutting towards the basket, unguarded, and there's two guys who've picked up RJ, 
And RJ just he was going to shoot. He like yeah. And this is sort well, of I mean, he had made his defense, it. He, he might not have seen him. There was I mean, five the seconds State left. Bodies are big and wide and thick. He didn't see him. He wasn't looking for him. And I'm not killing RJ for it. Yeah. RJ drew a foul. Uh, sometimes RJ hits that shot and draws the foul. Right. And but if he had that's what I was begging for. Please, please <laughs> yeah. go down. If he had dished a design, I think design finishes and also possibly gets fouled. But like. The end of the game, we're still in position to win, right? We're still in position to win, and they hit a three-pointer. Yeah. And it was a money shot, and that that play came down to it was an off-ball screen. Trey Jones didn't switch. He stuck with Cassius. I'm not sure if, if it was he was supposed to. I, yeah, I he, saw it multiple times. Cassius basically went down to the free-throw line. He cut and, towards the basket. Zion and, picked him up on a switch on the yeah, off-ball screen. They were both And Trey on. decided to, to leave the shooter to stick with Cassius. So, but mm, okay, that, I, okay. Trey didn't switch. Trey didn't switch. This but is they were both off the ball. It's not like it's an on-ball screen. It's correct. Right. On the ball, they've been switching it every time. Off ball, all, all, I don't know what they're supposed to do. I don't know whose yeah. fault it was. But still, the guy had to hit a big shot. He's a 34, 35% three-point shooter. And he's been sort of struggling the last few games. And he was a foot behind the line, uh, or maybe two feet. And the shot goes in. And then we still have the ball and a chance. But if that shot doesn't go in, we're feeling pretty good today, right? And we're talking about matching up against Texas Tech. But the shot did go in. And then, you know, the, the, everything right. else happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we've been, we basically say after every March Madness elimination that the margin between winning and losing, feeling great and feeling terrible, is razor thin. Um, there's yeah. very little difference that separates who, who's in the Final Four and who's out of the Final Four. Last year we left it all on the floor against Kansas and played a pretty good game, and the ball rimmed out on Grayson. Yeah. The year before we got it's blown. Fun. It's funny. Both times we had a three-point lead with under a minute left. And, uh, and the year before we got blown out by South Carolina. That one I, I, I still don't feel okay about because we just got run off the court. right? This team and last year's team at least left it on the court in their elimination game. Um, and they had to play. They had to play a, a bunch of tough games, you know, as you mentioned down the stretch. But um, should we get into the last the last two minutes? Um, sure. You know, a lot is talked about in the national national media. People criticizing Coach K for for not just getting the ball in Zion's hands at the very end. They tried. Zion had the ball in his hands on two of the last three possessions and passed it. Because he was being double and triple teamed. Because and, yeah, the paint and, and wasn't even, clear. Even, and he, even he didn't... before then, watching their defense uh, for a, for a second time, they they very much play like a Virginia true um, pack line defense where we play a four out or five out. They basically had nearly all five of their guys on the perimeter of the paint, suggesting you're going to beat us from the outside. We're going to help aggressively when you guys come inside, and that's it. And that's what they did, and they actually did it incredibly effectively. And I, I feel the frustration of Duke fans and Duke Nation. What's what's the counter to that? You know, why why are we still just trying going with Plan A? Yeah, Zion, you do your thing. They're doubling, tripling, triple teaming you. Then he kicks it back out to RJ. RJ does his ISO, but he's getting doubled also. They yeah, and they're helping, and and yeah. it's. The, the, the thought is, like, wouldn't we prefer Zion trying to force something than RJ? So with a minute and a half left, Zion does sort of force a drive and gets... He converts, right? And he converts. 
So very difficult layup. Yeah, no, he's but supporting his body. I actually thought the angle was going to be too tough for him to to convert it. But he makes the play from the perimeter. They're having trouble feeding him in the post, and then he gets the ball twice more on the perimeter, and he could have elected to try something similar, to force sort it of a little bit, right? Yeah. And we, I wanted, I want Zion to force it rather than RJ. You know, I just want that. Yeah. But he didn't, right? He chose to pass. It wasn't late enough in the shot clock, so you know, it, just, it wasn't a driving lane. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely an argument that we should have more sort of stuff drawn up to to execute at the end of a game on the biggest possessions. Yeah. And we're still sort of doing this motion offense that 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 could, you know, coach K believes in. Um, so there's a question there as to, you know, what the right thing is. Um, people just tend to be highly super critical of whatever happens. Like sure. we are. Yeah. But I mean, we do the same thing. Um, People are going to be critical of Roy Williams and, and Mark Mark Few, Gonzaga, UNC. I mean, all these teams run into other really great teams, and they win or lose by a very small margin. Yeah. It should not define that much the success of your season, even though it does. I mean, the field is so big. There are so many great teams. Only one team is going to triumph ultimately. And uh, you just can't beat yourself up too much. And say, oh, you can't do one and done. You can't win one and done. Right. We won it's one just, and done just, three years ago. I mean, well, that I mean, <laughs> they had, they had that some experience. Had Quinn Cook, Emil Jefferson, and Matt Jones. Right. People talking more. I mean, this team was nearly exclusively freshmen with one big, and even the bigs weren't even that critical. To I mean, they could have gone small. They went with Jack White a lot the first half of the season. Uh, but it, it's a lot of it is just sort of piling on and nonsense. Like they. It's almost like people don't understand the math of only one team's going to win. It doesn't mean all the other teams are failures. But Coach Case being vilified as, as oh, well, people they're like getting that, worse. Yeah. I mean, they were better in game one of the season as now. This team should be an all-time great team, all-time great defensive team. Um, the main criticisms are you have these guys, like it's a, a poorly constructed team because there's no three-point shooters. Right, well, that's what people say. People can argue. Of course, Cam Reddish I, yeah. came in with a reputation. Alex O'Connell started I, the season yeah. off. I can argue he could have had a couple if he would just play them more and implement them more in situations like this where a team is clearly not well, going to give you the pain. That's part of the criticism is yeah. he's got the wrong lineup on the court. Uh, people, you know, one of the the more intricate criticisms I've seen is sort of that we should have gone with Zion as the big and played small more, and and like that's a who you play on your bench. Rather than having a, a second big in the game, uh, we've, we've, I'd, I'd like to break a that. Amount when Jack White was hot for the first fifteen games of the season, we we went <clears> with that smaller lineup a lot. But I don't think we. Uh, I guess we had played a lot of a lot of good teams then. We've so we played Texas Tech, Gonzaga, we, Kentucky, all those all those teams in that stretch. Yeah, the other thing to sort of uh, note, I guess. Well, let's let's stick to the game, then we'll we'll, we'll zoom out to the season, um, like. You know, we both agree the defense. The defense played really well. Everybody had an, you know, everyone had an impact on defense. I thought Zion, down the stretch, was doing crazy things on defense. In the last seven minutes of the game, he blocked a three pointer. I've never seen somebody block more three point shots. Yeah, and and I've never seen somebody impact more. <laughs> two-foot buckets more than he does even when he doesn't actually touch the ball. There's one play down the stretch, and I'm going to miss seeing this. I'm going to miss guys looking for him because he made some spectacular play a minute before. 
and they don't want to get their shop locked again. And, and they just decide the not, not to go up with something. And I felt like Zion had such a monstrous impact on defense in this game. And Javin played really well on D. He did. And Trey, I thought Trey Jones played well. And I thought R.J. Barrett, through the season, got better and better as a team defender. Yeah. And I want to tip my hat to him. Um, Cam Reddish comes into the game with three minutes into the game. And let's get to him in a second. But He never came out. He never came out of the game again. He had an immediate impact on defense, although I felt like his impact on defense waned as the game went on. And he, he sort of impacted a little less, but him on the defensive end provides length and a presence that, that matters. I love seeing him so, getting into his low, wide stance with those long arms out in the wing. Yeah. I, um, having said all that, I still feel like even though Cassius Winston went 9 for 22 or 9 for 23, he was so incredible money in he was, this game. I you know, Coach K after the game said he made every correct decision down the stretch and watching the game. He did make a lot of correct decisions. His alley-oop hit at the perfect time. He's just drawing the double team in the paint, getting an easy alley-oop. So which, that, which that, that play, can, senior, we, can yeah. we talk about that play for a second? Sure. We're up three. So Zion converts that, uh, that finish with a minute yeah. and a half left. We're up three at that point? Yes. We're up three. Michigan State comes down and... Cassius gets a little corner edge on Trey going towards the, the, the paint. Zion comes over from the top right-hand side, you know, looking at it from Duke's perspective, and is, is, is helping out. And everyone else is staying on their man, except Javin is, is guarding someone in the dunker spot. Yeah. And he floats in to help to try to get the shot block on Cassius. And it was a super pivotal play in the season. I mean, Javin played great and good defense all game and a lot in the tournament. But in this spot, that tendency to double and triple the ball really came back to haunt us because Trey's a great defender, Zion's an astronomical defender, and those two guys were already on the ball. So for Javin leaving his man to go towards like a really stupendous point guard, he made the right play. He found the wide-open guy for the alley-oop dunk, but yeah. it didn't have to go that way. It could have been a challenge shot for Cassius, which right. I would have preferred. And look, he made a couple of those. He made one a few minutes earlier, yeah. a little floater in the lane when Trey had, you know, Trey was at his hand in the space. But um, but you know, the the micro decision there wasn't wasn't effective. It didn't turn out well. You know, there's a chance he comes over and disrupts in a way that the guy can't get the thing off. But it was a little half-hearted the way he came over. So now we're only up one. Yeah. And, like, that was a big play. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of big plays that could have gone either way. But that one I noticed, so I wanted to talk about real quick. So we got it in. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. Continue with your, your, your analysis. On what? Cassius Winston? Yeah, so Cassius makes that big play. I just, I just, he did. He made a. I yeah. thought Coach K kind of gave him a little too much credit. I thought he no, played a real good I game. I thought he played. And he's a first-team All-American yeah. point guard and deserved it. Yeah. And I thought he played really well. And he played so, all 40 minutes. Right. So, and, I mean, again, <laughs> you know, again, it always, at the conclusion of a season, it seems to always come back to, look at this guy. Look at this four-year senior point guard for Michigan State, all-world player. But he wasn't an all-world player coming in. Right. But, even but he like, was a top 100 even, recruit. Even Trey Jones, I, I, I saw the stat in the middle of the game. It was his first turnover in 85 minutes, which is mind-boggling. But he made just a – I couldn't believe the pass he tried to enter into Zion. It was just an immediate uh, steal. But Zion and RJ 
their decision making is too loose. Which Wasn't leads to the. I mean, how many turnovers do they have? Five or six each. Well, RJ got credited with seven turnovers in this game, but Are, but it was a little unfair because I, once or I twice disagree. Alex O'Connell like once Cam Reddish had his foot on the line, right? And that's okay. not his turnover. That that one I think went to Zion. It might have been RJ. But twice, Alex O'Connell sort of fumbled the ball, like in the corner as well, I and think turned you're it over. Of the Virginia Tech game because am, am I? RJ's turnovers in this game, some of them were egregious, were terrible. Well, but I, I'm simply he had some turnovers, but I just think he gets generally overcredited with turnovers. Like one of his passes to Zion towards the end of the game could have been a completed pass. It was probably the yeah, right pass. I Michigan think, State made Zion a real play. I think Zion was a little bit off balance. It was. He was compensating right. because his first few entry passes into the post were too low and intercepted. So he went too high, which for Zion can't be too high. But I think Zion was just a little bit off balance. Just a little wrong-footed. Yeah. But earlier in the game, especially in the first half, I thought he made some really, really poor decisions. And, and I'm only bringing that up not to just pile on or to be negative, but to say that I don't think Cash is winsome me. He minimized the mistakes, and the number of mistakes you're going to have, the deeper you go in the tournament, is going to go down yeah. when your guards are juniors and seniors, and well, not freshmen. The reason we lost the game is we turned the ball over 17 times, and the other team turned it over seven times. I don't know if it's that simple. I mean, that if Did, you want to look at one thing... Didn't we, we gave them by like 10? We gave them 10 extra possessions, right? Out-rebounding, but they had, we had very similar offensive rebounding numbers to them. So defensive rebounds don't indicate that we... We like turned them over, or got extra possessions. Yeah. They just indicate that Michigan State missed more shots. Than we. They took 70 shots, and we took 57. So, of course, we had more rebounds than them. But we had 13 offensive rebounds. They had 11, so we got two extra looks at the basket. But we gave up 17 turnovers, and they only gave up seven. So they got 10 extra possessions. It's just, And a couple of them were live ball turnovers, especially in the last five minutes of the first half. We had a double-digit lead. It's one of the worst stretches of basketball I've seen. For we us. had we had two live ball turnovers. Terrible. One was Cam. One was a Zion one, had, uh, just just inbounding the ball after a made basket. That was atrocious, right? That was I mean, that. Yeah. Like you know, just, we've been saying this over and over. You have to value each possession in the tournament like it's gold because each possession is worth about a point, one point one, one point two points. Yeah. If you turn over two or three, that's two or three points. All these games are going to come down to a margin of one, two or three points. It's the difference between feel, feeling elation and still being yeah. in. And, and here's and, here's and what I, and here's what we should say: the 17 turnovers were not Coach K's fault. You know, now you could talk. Some of them are scheme. Some of them are like Izzo. Izzo getting his guys prepped to play the right kind of post defense, entry pass defense, really good. Yeah. But I I don't fully you know you, you know the players play the game. So I my instinct is to to kind of. In the rest of the podcast, I think we are gonna. You're a defender of, of the program, and I like it, Mike. I think we're gonna. No, I think we're gonna criticize some aspects of the program deeper into this podcast. Until most of the post, like Monday morning, Monday yeah. night, most of the stuff was just a pure. This is the worst coaching job ever by Coach K. If if I were coaching, then I'd be fired. Stuff like that, and I I became much more defensive of Coach K in the program, even though no, ordinarily I'm very aggressively. Critical. Yeah, I mean, I still feel though, like, yeah, you can point to the turnover differential, but I mean, come on, as the coach, there has to be a plan B and a plan C. And I understand you trust your guys, you tr- you want the ball in the guys who you trust the most. But look at the Bulls in the early to late nineties. I mean, 
Michael Jordan won when he trusted John Paxson in passing the ball, when he trusted Steve Kerr passing the ball. You can't just say, Zion, go through three guys and do your thing, or RJ, go ISO and do your thing, even though you guys are both terrible. Well, well you can, and if they had turned the ball over a couple less times, they win the game. If that three-point shot rims out instead of falling, they still win the game. But yeah. but I also agree that, that I wish there was not more, the optimal way to play. I wish there was a little. I wish there were better outlets. I wish they had figured out these guys had figured out how to play with Alex O'Connell in a way that maximized him. Even I wish Baker. Joey Baker had yeah. gotten in the game and been able to be a three point a reliable three point threat even for five to ten minutes a game. And at the end of the year, we just we just we, trusted our starters. We get the five is, guys as is usual. Yeah. Yeah. There's only one guy that I thought actually top to bottom wasn't good in the game. I mean, Cam Reddish didn't have a good game overall, uh, but Bolden was sort moments. of a, Bolden was sort of a zero. Uh, Seventeen minutes, zero points, zero rebound, or I'm sorry, two rebounds. Um, just didn't make much of an impact. Like went for blocks, didn't get them. Um, but he also he didn't even commit a foul. It's it's hard to play 17 minutes and have almost have zeros in almost every single category in the stat line. Uh, so, you know, I yeah, I don't want to give him a complete pass, although it's unclear exactly what he's supposed to be doing on this team and why he's in the game anyways, you know, in some spots. But Michigan State was big and bulky, so they wanted to have a second big in there. Um, Cam, should we get into it? Um should we talk about Virginia Tech or should we talk about Cam and the enigma that was Cam this weekend and what happened? Nobody listening cares about Virginia Tech or that game. <laughs> All right, I'll just say quickly. However, yeah. Virginia I'll, I'll, Tech I'll thing. played fantastic. Buzz yeah. Williams is a fantastic cho- coach. We had, a, we had to beat a team that played an almost almost perfect game against us, and we, we did beat them. Yeah. Um, and it was as, probably as good as they could play. And it felt like the same way about UCF. Like we we encountered teams that were game with great game plans. It felt like prepared in the exact right way against us. We barely and we, won. And we we, we, we barely won, yeah. which would indicate we're not that great. We're not that dominant. And they they all came in packing the paint, saying yeah. you're going to beat us from the outside. And it's it's almost like Coach K said, I don't care if they're going to pack the paint. I'm going to trust my guys. They were born for this moment, and they're just going to attack the basket, which, you know, like... Well, in that game, we took a lot of threes. Which Trey, game? The Virginia Tech game. game. Trey Jones. R.J. Barrett. Yeah. You, 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 uh, R.J. Didn't, didn't shoot well. Trey hit five threes. Five of seven. Was, Probably never happened again, but yeah. Felt like an anomaly, but you had been... The last podcast we did together, you you were making the point that he, sh- he, sh- he should get the red light. Yes. Trey Jones. Have. But and when he, they pack it in... I'm t- and you know he, I, I think he just had to shoot it. Um, the opportunities didn't seem to be there against Michigan State, but yeah. head nod to, to Trey Jones for basically coming through. We don't win that Virginia Tech game without his shooting. It's it's you know? actually funny because uh, I I probably would have forgotten this if you didn't bring that up. Um, the the Duke players and Coach K they're interviewed not just post game during the NCAA tournament but. Uh, pre-game and in the pre-game which is their off day it's actually a little bit longer and coach K made a point of uh, you know some reporter asked him about Trey Jones this guy's shooting like 24% yet he's still shooting threes coach K looks at the reporter says well you're looking at the aggregate statistics anybody who does that is not very smart <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop laughing because when he said it 
I was I was dying laughing. But then, like, I think after the Virginia Tech game, like, he said something that actually made a lot of sense, and I and it's sli- it's slipping my mind. But I think Coach K's his entire philosophy or perspective is: look, you can't just look at a season long worth of statistics. Like he, he was saying. Something about this team beat us twice, or we beat this team twice, and so we're probably going to beat them again a third time. He's like, that's, you can't look at things that way. We beat them twice, but we didn't have Zion. Two completely different scenarios. Like, you can't oh, look at things somebody in, asked in if it was Somebody asked if it was harder to go up against, harder or easier to go up against, against the, a, three times. a division opponent. We only played Virginia Tech once, not, right. not twice. Right. And he made the point that this is a totally different team because they were missing one of their best players, and, and we were, were missing our best player. And, and when he said that, I thought... I, I understand what you're saying now. Different atmosphere. But, but the, the first time when he said it, I couldn't stop laughing. I was just like, you know what? I actually wonder if Duke has some genius engineering student who's volunteering his time saying, look, Coach K, you should be doing this. You should not be doing this. You should not be shooting this shot. Doing Listen, a shot chart uh, uh, graph, stuff like that. Trey, okay. My last thing about Trey, God bless him. He made five for seven in the Virginia Tech game. You run this season a hundred times. He's probably going to have one game like that a season. It's just that his misses are so horrific. Like, he's just airballing and missing the rim entirely. That does not instill a confidence in me. Maybe the coaches well, know something. They also they also worked better. on it. They, all reports were that Coach K may specifically had him work on it, expressed confidence in him, and that inspired whatever. But, like, for him to say... Uh, stat, you know, you're looking at all the stats. Like you the more you can't aggregate all these stats. Like, I mean, you like have to be a, more updated. There's a simple rule: the more data you have, the better the data. Yeah. You know, like yeah. so, the more shots. Like uh, Sam Hankey famously would track every shot in the practice facility of every player, so he could expand his data set. Right. Right. Like, let's see what these guys are really like, because it's a relatively small sample size, especially college basketball. So, like, there is no chance that Duke is doing anything like that. There's no chance there's an engineering student in the stands or recording the thing and like, you know, adding up the stats of and all the players in he, practice. They're, even they're not, if we had a guy like that, Coach K would not listen to the he guy. He wouldn't listen to him. Because he's no no one outranks him on campus or in the program or in the institution. No one. No not, part of me not even thinks. The president. Yeah. But but it took me that that press conference took me back to Moneyball the movie the scout saying, oh, this is a five-tool athlete, and you have this this uh, quant or this stats guy saying, oh, the only thing that matters is getting on base, on base percentage, walks. doesn't matter how you look. And Coach K is old school. I mean, I get it. He's embracing a lot of the Listen, evolution of the game, but I don't think there's like, – th- there's who's, a re- who's telling him what you should and should not do? There's a reason Nobody. Coach K is never speaking at the Sloan Conference for sports. Like he is obviously not an analytics guy. He's an old school he's an motherfucker. Old school guy, yeah, who has changed with the times. He's he, changed he in certain ways, but he's yeah. not relying on analytics. Like we know this yeah. because they don't play the style that you would play if you relied on analytics. That it's just that's not the way it is. It's, it's funny because but, he was his teams were generally the first ones to fully embrace the three point shot. I don't know if it was. Because we couldn't get the talented mega athletes that could attack the basket at will in, in college basketball, and that's why we had a lot of really, really good three-point shooters. I think it had to do with our personnel. Yeah, like exactly. Like, you know, in the NBA, you can construct a team. Like, people talked about Coach K's team construction and the fact that he didn't, like, sign some free agents, right, or recruit these kids. to. He had them. They were just on the bench. 
Well, what's, yeah. that's one, but it's not as if you can trade a guy for another guy in college basketball. It's not like you can just pick someone up off off the waiver wire. Like the 76ers could grab grab like a, a journeyman three-point shooter and might be able to use that guy, right? You can't do that, right? Like college basketball is just you're, you're, different. You're saying, you're saying mid-season he can't do that. But, of course mid-season he can't do that. pre-season or off-season he absolutely can well, here's like, what he could have done. Who's not going to want to play for Coach K and the Brotherhood and be on ESPN every game? Well, I'll tell you who doesn't. Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker came to Duke last year. Jordan Tucker? With, uh, Jordan Tucker. He came to Duke last year with a reputation as a shooter. I mean, he played five minutes. I'm supposed to remember the guy. But I do remember he had a reputation as a shooter. I remember getting reports from, from, the, summer, uh, from the fantasy camp about how, how good a shooter this guy was. And then he doesn't get off the bench. And yeah, he transfers mid-season. Mid and, like, we could have used a shooting last year. We could have used a shooting this year. And, like, perhaps the difference between us really sort of ascending and the, the team taking off and the team composition being right is is one guy stuck on the bench in, like, Alex O'Connell one, or one guy stuck on the bench like Joey Tucker. Maybe Justin Robinson, who looked like a good three-point shooter every time he played no, for two minutes. Stop. We just don't know because Coach K never considers playing one-dimensional three-point shooters because we've had them before, and they don't play. You have to be good at the whole entire game of basketball. Taylor King. People remember Taylor King? I remember Taylor King. That guy was a legend, a high school shooting legend. Although it turned out to be a bit of a, a head case, I think. He, he's, he was at Villanova. He transferred to Villanova, left. And had to go out to the West Coast. California. But yeah. Shemi Ojale was a really good shooter. Right? Like we've, yes, we've, yes. These guys that are sort of less complete players but could provide shooting, we generally don't find space for them in the rotation. Yeah. And, and, and also the, the announcers were saying RJ looks gassed. Zion looks gassed at the end of the first half and the second half. And they probably are gassed. They're Zion probably- was jumping out of the building on both ends of the court. And push, yeah, right. yeah. And, and I recall, he did look and, and I recall he looked extra fresh after TV timeouts. Like there was extra burst on his jumps, especially after the final TV timeout. I think in the second half, he made. I think it's when he blocked the three point shot, maybe. Or he's the most video game player I've ever seen yeah. in college basketball. Like you know, complete with the fatigue factor, like his life force going down a little bit. Like the guy is incredible. Just the turbo button. Every time. Yeah, if you guys haven't seen his, the very, like yesterday, there's a there's a video clip of him dunking and almost breaking a backboard in some rec, rec center at Duke. Uh, the guy loves the game. Obviously can't get enough because he's playing against Joe Schmoes. Yeah. I mean, whatever but, we say about the yeah. tournament and yeah. the heartbreaking loss to Michigan State, and it, it sucks. It, it sucks. And, like, it sucked that we almost lost to UCF and probably should have, right? But those were great basketball games, you know. Those were, I thought those were great basketball games. We got to watch the Virginia Tech game was a great basketball game. The Michigan State game was a really good basketball game. Yeah. And we got to see great games over the last month of the season. We had the toughest schedule this year. We, we beat UVA twice. We beat UNC the only time we had Zion, barely. We escaped we, UNC. We won the ACC championship. We, yeah. we beat Texas Tech, who's a Final Four team, right? We yeah. played a, a we beat, buzzer. We beat, uh, we beat Auburn, another Final Four team. We beat Auburn, the other Final Four team. Gonzaga, we lost at the. But I will say we did not dominate any of those teams. 
The only team we dominated was We were looking to be a dominant team. We were not a dominant team. Your point is made. Absolutely. I agree. You're right. We were never dominant, except the Kentucky game. But I, so <laughs> right? part, part of it was probably we, we shot something ridiculous in the game, which we probably only did again against Virginia on the road. If I, I don't remember what we did in the game, but it seemed like we couldn't miss a shot, and that has a snowball effect, and Kentucky got you know hit in the face, and yeah. one thing led to another. But it did that team seemed like a juggernaut, but it actually wasn't. There were a lot of holes, which, you know. We weren't a dominant team, but we were a really good team with dominant several dominant players. Yeah, uh, RJ ended up being a little less dominant against the best competition. And look, the guy's 18 years old. Yeah, right. Zion stayed dominant pretty much throughout, and like became better than I expected. Even at the beginning, when I was super hyped on Zion, he definitely exceeded my expectations. Even though my jaw was on the ground when I first saw him at the. Uh... Canada tour. Even in this losing effort, he made astounding plays. You yeah. know, astounding plays. Uh, let's go back to Cam. You brought up Cam. Yeah. The mystery that is Cam. Yeah, let's get into it. So, Virginia Tech, at the last minute, there's a report that Cam might be out for the game, out of the starting lineup. And then, I don't know, before or after the game, basically Zion and Coach K both make reference to the fact that he tweaked his knee. Right before, they didn't know Coach what, K how did. bad it was. I think was. Zion was after the game. Okay, before the game, Coach K says he's tweaked his knee. There's a knee injury or a concern, and he's he's out. Yeah. Right? Or it was unclear if he was going to be out. But after the game, Zion shed a little more light on it. Cam came up to him and said his knee didn't feel right. He had hurt his knee. Yeah, Zion said, look, if, if your knee is bothering little. you that much, then don't play. It's not like you're letting us down. Right. Even though you are. I mean, they played very, very well without him. But yeah, I mean, if, the, if Cam doesn't play, the way I view it is, look, that's like a, we're gaining three or four extra possessions on offense, and we're losing a, a bit on defense in terms of steals and good his amount, length. A good amount. Alex yeah. O'Connell, I thought, played 35 minutes in that Virginia Tech game. I thought he played very well. He didn't shoot well. He didn't make three-pointers. Yeah. But he... he, he he, he airballed. He over airballed the yeah. basket on what could have been the game ceiling corner three. He just totally airballed it. But he got seven rebounds and got some steals. Coach K pointed out after the game, he he did get some steals. I thought he played within the team concept, of course, as he always does. But uh, he did two things I thought that were particularly impressive. He led the team in defensive rebounding, mm-hmm. and. He challenged the last, the, the Virginia Tech three-point shot to take the lead with about 20, 30 seconds left. A similar kind of shot without to fouling. Michigan State taking. Challenged it, made the guy a little awkward without fouling. I thought, you know, closed out well and made, made a play there. I was surprised. I, he I, competed. He I competed. don't understand Coach K. I don't understand why Alex O'Connell's on the floor. In that spot, it was a dead ball situation. It was either a timeout or the officials had to look at something. That's the time for defense for offense, offense for defense. I mean, I just don't I don't get Coach K. So he plays O'Connell 35 minutes in that game. Goldwire plays three minutes. Then in this game against um, Michigan State, O'Connell starts. Starts. Plays, plays two and minutes, a half to three minutes. Goes back in for like 30 seconds, but he literally never plays again. And uh, Cam Reddish, who apparently had this quote-unquote knee, knee injury. Knee, knee issue. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't start, doesn't play. Then, well, he, then he doesn't start the next game. But then when he goes in, 
The knee is no issue at all, and he plays 37 minutes of grueling basketball against one of the most physical teams in the country. Doesn't add up, Mike. It does not add up. It doesn't add up even a little bit. It's obviously some version of BS here, yeah. and we're being, we're being whitewashed by the program, listen, and this happens all the time. Listen, you can, but you can but on this stage, yeah. it's crazy that, that like they said he had a knee injury, and then in the, the warm-ups for Michigan State, there's people tweeting, live tweeting, Cam looks fluid, he's dunking, he looks great, but he's still not in the starting lineup. Yeah. And then he comes in three minutes, he's never looked more athletic than the first three to four minutes he played. Like, all season, he didn't look better than he looked in those three or four minutes. And, like, it's it had to be disciplinary. Yeah. It had to be a message being sent to him or a consequence for some action that they didn't want to make a story. Right. Which is, uh, I just can't believe I, that, I, that I, they could cover up something that big and get Zion to, to say something about the knee. Hey, Zion, can you say something about Kamsey? Look, you can call me cynical or skeptical or whatever, but... I just don't believe everything that I'm told. Coach K says, like, he even tried to elaborate a little bit when a reporter asked about him after the Virginia Tech game. He's like, it's something he's sort of had to deal with the whole season. It's like a shooter's tendonitis, but structurally, there's nothing wrong with the knee. I'm like, what? Shooter's tendonitis? I mean, one, what is that? And two, look. It didn't I, seem I, like it made sense. It yeah, did, I, know, I, I, don't, I don't look, get it. Look, Coach but, K got called out um, after the. Oregon Sweet 16 loss in 2016 for Coach K claimed he didn't say anything to Dylan Brooks, but he actually did say something to Dylan Brooks. Um, and then he had to apologize two days later for essentially lying, but he didn't say, I lied. That was probably a just blip, blip. Like, it probably doesn't happen that often, but it, it clearly demonstrates that he's not always going to be honest or he's not always going to be of the opinion that the general public or the media needs to know everything. But, right. But you could just say that. You could I, just say, look, this is a, a team team issue or a team thing. We're dealing with it internally. We you, still don't know the details on Rashid Suleiman. But to part yeah. another example, yeah. there was whispered. But we don't – they never acknowledged exactly what happened. Rashid Suleiman never talked about it. None of his teammates ever talked about it. When guys transfer, it's always silence. Always. And there's a reason – People. Illuminati. <laughs> Coach K's uh, reaches go extend very, but, very but far. It, it's, <laughs> Wouldn't you be afraid of Coach K if you were like uh, thinking yeah, of I'd, redshirting? Or I'd be afraid to cross him and his reputation. Of course, why would you want? What, there's nothing to gain, right? So he's, it makes he's sense. Too big. There's no accountability. But the other thing about it is that Coach K, I think, has a very, very intimate, trustful relationship with his with his players and his coaches. And that's who he feels like he owes the duty, the honor to. Yeah. And he doesn't view the media as like uh, people he has to engage with on a completely open and honest level. And he doesn't, you know, like pro pro sports teams have an obligation to be honest with their fans who buy the tickets to the game about injuries and such. And usually they're pretty, you know, they're pretty um, transparent. transparent with it. But... Duke never has been transparent with injuries, like almost never. Um, they sort of had to be with Zion. It was such a big worldwide story, and he was injured in such a notable way. But um, I don't fault Coach K for it. I sort of admire it. Like in an era where every there's leaks everywhere, Duke's program is a tight ship with no leaks and has been 
for for decades and it's it's sort of something I see as a strength um, if I was a player I wouldn't want whatever happened to get out you know they're protecting camp right I mean let's say they maybe they're protecting right. camp we and, don't know what happened but and, and it's there's tiny small chance that he actually does have a knee issue or had a knee yeah. issue but it doesn't make sense if he actually had a knee issue how could he play all 37 minutes yeah structurally yeah. there was nothing wrong which means it's just a pain issue you can play through it and what kid doesn't want to play in a sweet 16 game it does, one it doesn't make sense and then in the elite eight games played nearly the entire game doesn't add up well the to me, the fact that he didn't start and yeah, then came that, off the that's bench, punishment. That's, 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 a coach, that's a classic Coach K or Dean Smith kind of punishment. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's why it didn't make sense. If he had started the game and played 28 minutes, it, it wouldn't have sort of set off the, you know, my radar detector here. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you bring up Coach K in the media, which, which uh, brought to my mind one other thing that happened. Um, Zion and RJ were the two players who were uh, interviewed the most in these press conferences. And a lot of times players, especially young players, especially freshmen, especially like the Kentucky players, especially the Wisconsin players, they're all great with the media when they're winning and they're still in the tournament. But when they lose, they turn into sour little crybabies. These two guys were gracious and classy. Even I mean, they had to sit up there after trying to console. Trey Jones, who took the losing incredibly hard, uh, was crying his heart out, sort of like uh, was Will, Will Avery in 99. I remember Coach K just embracing Will Avery and hugging him yeah. because he was so distraught over not winning. Trey, I don't know, it just it warms my heart a little bit when I see kids care that much about winning and the program and the tradition. But to go back to RJ and Zion, they answered all the really, I mean, honestly, the reason why there's a little bit of antagonism between players and coaches and the media is there are a lot of morons out there, and they are asking really stupid questions. <laughs> sure. They answered all the stupid questions with class and with dignity, and uh, I think that bodes well going forward for both these guys in terms of NBA careers and, and how they're going to project themselves. Yeah, Trey, Trey has a little less on the line in terms of like reputation and like awareness. Like everything Trey Jones says, that's not making headlines. Yeah, anything Zion says, that's you know crazy would make headlines. He had a moment of poise. After the Virginia Tech, was it after the Virginia Tech game where they came over? You know, they basically Virginia Tech gets a really clean alley oop look with that 1.1 seconds left, and the guy short arms it yeah. instead of like finishing fluidly. And um, so it was lucky. Lucky he didn't hit it. We would have gone to overtime. That would have been exciting to see. Yeah. Um, and there was that other rim out, and they basically the the, the, the sideline reporter comes up to Zion and and RJ and it's like, guys. What accounts for the ending of these games? And he, you know, Zion just points to the microphone that has a March yeah. Madness thing on it. It's like what it says right there. And it was like so perfect. You know, it was like such a perfect response. You know, what's to say? Yeah, it's just it's March Madness. Yeah, and and you know, after the game, they asked Trey Jones what happened on that play, what he was thinking, and he just said, "Which which play? The the miss, the Virginia Tech, the putback miss." Okay. Or the, the out-of-bounds uh, alley-oop miss. And Trey Jones was like, I don't know what you want me to say. He missed. right? Yeah. <laughs> they asked Coach K later, what, did, what was going through your head? Same question we asked Trey earlier. And Coach K was just like, he missed. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, I was watching and the guy missed. You know, yeah. I was happy about it. Yeah. You know, like, um, but it sort of comes down to that. Like, we try to get super deep on stuff. And ultimately, the players make or miss shots. Make plays or don't. That's true. Know. But if you look at that play, 
Buzz Williams has what a beautifully designed play. One second to do, it. <laughs> and he gets the guy. I think his his last name was Allen. Had a pretty good game. He did two circles around his man, and Zion lost him on the second loop, and he got a wide open look at the basket. It's a good screen, good play. We've got we've got ten seconds to work with, and the best we can do is just a bacon shake, go up against two or three guys. Yeah, that's and fair. Like, that's fair. Brad Stevens has great out of bounds plays. Yep. Maybe just study, study film of those plays and do something better than just get the ball into the hands of your best player at the top of the key and let him go to work. But we did make plays at the end of games all year without sort of these like mint out of bounds execution plays. Like Cam Reddish hit the three yeah. to, to win the game. Was that Florida State? That was end of Florida and, State, yeah. Yeah, and that was with a couple seconds left on the shot clock, like three or four seconds. Uh, Zion on his own against UCF makes that play, and then you know misses the free throw. But uh, yeah. you know it wasn't like that strategy didn't work for us all year. Uh, and they're they're young players, so their ability to to sort of execute on a uh, like a play call level is in doubt. So still, maybe, maybe still, they know yeah, a little something like we don't know. I still feel like the 2010 there. team with yeah. John Shire, Kyle Singler, Nolan Smith, we had some really great out of bounds plays. Got really easy. Good. I agree. We really got easy, easier baskets. Like it just seemed like yeah, It seemed like a, a good chunk of time we would get an easy bucket out of bounds, and it seems like the last few years. Well, that's one of the questions that we've had over the last few years, and we can ask it now too. Is you know is is there under scheming? Are we not scheming enough on offense? We're just sort of relying on the talent that we have, this extraordinary talent. And I think the answer is yeah. You know, if Quinn Snyder was coaching this team, you don't think we'd be running like incredibly effective out-of-bounds plays and some different wrinkles off of our sets, you know, I think we'd be doing more. But there's also a limited amount of time you get to coach. But you look at Buzz Williams' coach team or an Izzo coach team, and, you you know, you can't help but be a little, you know, a little wanting of some of that some of that juice for our, our, our program. But I wonder what Chris Beard could do for our defense. Oh, my gosh. I mean, but... I, I watched, like, a 15-minute YouTube clip of how his guys are always parallel to the sideline that they're always pushing the three-point shooters to the baseline Chris never, Beard's the Texas never, Tech coach they're never straight up yeah and allowing guys to dribble on the inside into the paint Chris, which is pretty interesting Chris Beard might be the best coach in the country you I know, know he's gonna be highly coveted after this final four and we should mention Buzz Williams took is, a, is, is, is also, gone he's is gone he, he signed he signed with Texas A&M today, I believe, or that's really? the rumor. He's about to leave. Yeah, I think Virginia Tech bid him farewell. So, like, how devastating for Virginia Tech. Wow, that's, this guy. That's tough. I mean, he's, he did such a great job there. It almost feels like a, la- oh, like a I, lateral move. I actually right? read that Wojo is uh, being considered for the VT job. Think, well, about, think about that. The Wojo, job, the Cable, job is open. and K in the ACC. Uh, that, would be, that would be pretty incredible. Yeah, um, there are rumors. There are rumors. We'll have to see. Uh, this other report is saying that Seton Hall's coach, Kevin Willard, is a leading candidate. But they're just rumors. We don't know. I, I also heard, do you remember Ronald Norred? No. Point guard, Butler, 2010. Don't Very even... smart, heady point guard. Uh, being considered for, what's it? Not Tennessee, but uh, they had a different yeah, point guard. They had a different point guard. Vanderbilt, being considered for Vanderbilt. Oh, interesting. I thought they had a different point guard. I'm trying to remember the guy's name on that. that Sheldon team. Mack was also on. Sheldon that team. Mack, yeah, yeah he yeah. was off guard. Okay. Gordon Hayward, 
Matt Howard. Matt Howard was money. Uh, Jukes, Jukes killed us in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, um, Buzz Williams is gone. Not, not, not too sad to see him go, although I feel a little bad for, for Virginia Tech. Uh, Johnny Dawkins, you know, comes up. Well, Joe's apparently be considered. It's interesting. Some interesting coaching stuff going on. We'll get into it probably in the next podcast when a lot of the news is out. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always a lot of coaching changes. It'll be interesting to see how many of these guys uh, change and what it means uh, for the ACC. Um, we were talking, what were we just talking about, though? We were just talking about... Um, Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish. Conspiracy, so, conspiracy theory. <laughs> Um, so whatever happened, happened. We're probably not going to find out. We'll never find out. Uh, he did end up playing 37 minutes. It wasn't his best game overall. He had an impact right away. And then I thought he sort of drifted into the background. And, like, down the stretch, he didn't didn't take any shots, really. He took a three-pointer. He missed one or two. He made, he was two, two, he made two, pretty, two threes. One right away, though. Yeah. After the one he hit right away, he basically goes, like, he doesn't one, have the ball one of seven. enough. Yeah, he makes two shots. Yeah, went and, two for eight, two for six from three. Um, yeah, you know he's not. He wasn't the prime guy. Yeah, there was it, one other thing that I want to bring up. Uh, I mean, not terribly important, but I thought one. There's a lack of just fundamental rebounding principles. Um, it, I talked about this last year. I was talking about Loyola Chicago. The reason what this this guy was a who was he? He was a Rick Majerus disciple, the coach, and he's like, he's got all these slogans and sayings written up on the wall about how you play defense with your feet and not with your hands. Chris Beard, um, when he does rebounding drills, he's like, I don't care if you get the rebound. If you don't have correct rebounding position, then you're failing. And so even if you get the rebound, you failed. Our guys are so talented and so athletic, they don't have to, to, to box out. So... I, well, I, I this thought, team thought, was this team was better at boxing out than last year's team. Yeah, I thought. I thought there were some rebounds that we could have gotten, which we didn't. But then also, I think which was most pressing was Virginia Tech game. We had a lot of issues with uh, boxing out with with boxing out one guy in particular. Uh, um, the, the <laughs> Blackshear, 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 yeah, carried Blackshear. He had a monster game. The the other thing uh, which I noticed, especially in the first half, was. Um, Slightly lackadaisical transition defense, getting back on defense. In the Michigan State game, the, the white guy, uh, Matt McQuaid, beat us back on a made free throw bias. Yep. He beat everyone back. Their guys are like, Cassius Winston sees that he's beating them, makes the outlet pass, easy bucket. I mean, that's just inexcusable. You can't get beaten back on transition defense. Last year, we got we got beaten transition defense four to six, for four to six baskets a game. This year, it was more like one. Sometimes I, two, sometimes two or three. True. Some like, games, like some games it times. didn't happen. Yeah, Michigan State was good at that. Yeah, you know. But there's another part of all of this that we haven't fully talked. We mentioned it, but we we played four freshmen the entire game, right? And, and our, fifth, our fifth guy wasn't a senior, yeah. right? And we're playing teams with loads of experience. And Shashevsky would say they're playing men. Yeah. Right. And our guys look like men. They have good bodies. They have basketball ready. They can bang, right? Yeah. But, but these guys all have more experience. Chris Beard can coach these guys for f- two, three, four years and get the most out of them, right? Now, he, he doesn't have super freshmen to stick ahead of these guys. So he has to develop, yeah, he's getting the, develop the players. Well, not rejects. He's getting so, decent players. Okay, we talked about Taylor King. Tra- 
uh, yeah, transferring three times. Tariq Owens is on is at his third school. Tariq Owens and was ridiculous. I know, but he in, started towards off the end of that like Gonzaga at Tennessee, game. then he went somewhere else, and now he's at Texas Tech. Um, was he at Syracuse to start? Or was it Tennessee? I think you might be thinking of Billy Owens. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tariq Owens looks like a guy that should be yes, on Syracuse's I, team I to me. Agree with you there. Like he, yeah, he's but, a six eight six nine like. That guy played one like of the CJ Fair type. Yeah. In the second half against Gonzaga, he played so well. He completely changed the game. We we've I mean they, they stepping Gonzaga. outside of Duke, yeah. we've there seen a lot some of incredible games. games. Incredible. The Purdue Virginia game was one of the best games I've seen the last five years, I think. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, incredible just, basketball. It's just such an improbable ending to regulation also. We played we played in three of the best eight games of the tournament. And Three of the other best eight games were to go to the, were the Final Four, you know, the Elite Eight games. Yeah. So, like, it ended up being a very top-heavy tournament, and the basketball was, like, really, really great. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so I guess back to sort of uh, the season, like, and how we should think about the season. So, you know, we talked about the tournament. Now we're back to the season, and I think you've expressed really well that we, we didn't turn out to be as dominant as we were hoping or might have expected to be, but we were really good. We won a lot of close games. We had some trials and tribulations. It went well. But as we think about the season, um, the threads that I'm interested in, in sort of analyzing is, um, is if, how, do you, how do you evaluate the season? One is like, how do we do overall? And it was a mixed bag, and I'm going to remember this team really, really well, right? I remember the way we played together. I remember the smile on Zara. B plus. B plus for the year. B plus, almost an A minus. Yeah, I think that's about. Yeah, I would I would give it an A minus. I'm. I'm a hard, harsh grader. But it was just it was a very joyful season for me, and it was good to have a joyful season after sort of a pretty. I, last year we we also almost got to the final four. Both time, back to back years, final right? five. Final five. That's, that's an accomplishment. But. The last year's team left me feeling like that. That team got to the final four. I didn't feel like we deserved it all year. You hated that team. I didn't. I didn't enjoy I that you team so much. I hated that team. <laughs> I was I a little I negative. The team was fine. I thought they tried, but you were really harsh on them. You were harsh on their NBA prospects. You were. Listen, they tried, but they didn't play transition defense at all all yeah. year. They got a and little better towards the end. Simply effort. Right, and you know, I, I had an issue with the, their, their lack of boxing out and their lack of uh, help defense, and they they really struggled I mean, with defense. They, yeah, they were they played a zone. They were talented, but sort of bad, even though they were pretty good. <laughs> yep. This team was better. This team was better. Right. But at the end of the season, same result. Right. Yeah. Same same final result. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just like Jay Will was in the studio, and there was they were like, "Look, Zion Williamson, as great as he is, as great of an NBA player he's going to become, when he goes back to Duke, he won't have his jersey in the rafter like you, Jay Will, or he won't have like a national championship." Band. I'm like, again, guys, it's just math. These guys were there for three or four years. Yeah, they only apples, won one time. Apples know? and oranges. Yeah, yeah apples and oranges. Just, uh, Zion, to me, is one of the most clutch players we've ever seen at Duke, regardless of whether they won this game. Like. And he did pass the ball a couple times at the end when he could have forced it himself, but he was a good team player. And when asked to step up, he he so often did. Yeah. Uh, I guess I wanted to approach the season from the perspective of um, one team improvement. Do we think this team got better throughout the year? The best Coach K teams, the best Duke teams, sort of uh, finish 
strong, you know, finish really strong. They get better throughout the season. And I thought this team got better on the defensive end throughout the season, all the way up through the end. You know, I thought overall they played together really well, like on a spiritual level. Yeah. But on the court. On the court, on the offensive end, they got a little exposed for the lack of depth, lack of shooting, and they weren't able to sort of come up with a plan B, like you said, or a plan C. And so I thought we actually got worse on offense, but better on defense. Yeah, that's a narrative um, that I'm actually hearing and reading about a lot. Um, I don't know if it's that simple, because I, I feel like we're comparing this team right now immediately after a loss, but in the beginning of the year, I think what's in people's minds is, oh, this team destroyed Kentucky by 35. It also beat Texas Tech and Auburn, but those games were really close. It's not right. like we dominated and beat these teams by 20. We well, we beat Auburn by six. We beat Texas Tech by five or six, but we were also down in the Texas Tech game. Like, I think we were trending to lose that game until the second half, late in the second half. I think we outplayed I, those I, teams then. I, I think but we, they got we, better. Yeah. They got better. By the end of For the year, sure. they're better. For sure. Now, I think we're sort of better, too. Like, I thought we were much better defensively. Like, that Gonzaga game, I hated our defense. Um, and I thought we got we came together. You know, I thought it was an example of a, it's a team I'll remember coming together and playing as a team. Right? But I have a question for you. I'm going to so, go down the list okay. of players and let, ask you about individual players and whether they got better. Let me, the let me just counter, counter yeah. you. I feel like this team is a great team. Like they would hang out with each other, that they love each other um, in front of the cameras and outside of the cameras. But I feel like on the court, I never got the sense like they're Coach A's best teams. Everyone has a pivotal, vital role. And I feel like on, on this team, it's just it was so dependent on RJ and Zion offensively that people got lost. Like there it's, wasn't it's understandable room. that yeah. Cam Reddish got lost. It's understandable that Alex O'Connell and Joey Baker, even when they get on the floor, they're just walking watching. around like, like scarecrows. Like Jack White was a scarecrow by the end of the year. Um, well, that that's kind of where I'm driving at. Like Jack White regressed. He started off the year a certain way. He had that shooting slump, but yeah. he. He clearly didn't improve during the season. He improved in the offseason, showed yeah. up, had a suit of armor on, then some of the armor got taken off, and Jack White became a shell, right? So I think that might be a little bit harsh, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. It, it's tough to maintain your confidence when you've missed 28 consecutive threes. Like, right. but if, if, how, would, how would you take that? I would be so d- distraught. Yeah, but even after then he came back, he had three in one game, and like, then never hit one again. But if we look at the coaching staff job to have everybody on an individual basis improve, player development, and then as a team improve, clearly Zion got better throughout the season, right? Jack White clearly did not. Those are the most obvious examples, okay. right? I thought Bolden got better. Yep. I thought he got better generally. He's still limited, but he got better. Yeah. Um, I thought Javin tra- got better. Javin. Javin. I think got better got too. Better. I still don't love a lot of his instincts and yeah. the way he approaches maybe the game. Do you feel like Trey Jones got better? I no. I, I thought but let me let me qualify that. His defense was phenomenal. From throughout, the, from throughout. beginning to end. Yeah. And even just uh, guys who I know follow basketball but they're not huge Duke fans, they're like, I saw Trey Jones play defense. That guy is ridiculous without fouling. He's awesome. Um I 
Remember the first half to two-thirds of the season, it, it seemed like his on-ball pressure would lead to seven or eight turnovers a game. We didn't really see that towards the tail end, and I'm not faulting him. I'm just I'm just saying that's something I noticed. He played better, more experienced guards in the tournament. Uh, yeah. Cassius didn't turn the ball over. Right. And Cassius had four steals, and one or two of them were against Trey. But... So he got he got a little outplayed in that game. I think it's partly why he, he was hanging his head. Like he made win, some winning plays, but for me, Trey Jones res, accepted too limited a role in the offense most of the time. I think he should have he should have the ball in his, his role more well, offensively. I, maybe less as a shooter, but I would have liked to see him more as an initiator. Yes, because RJ, as good as he is isn't a point guard exactly. He was capable of m- m- dropping dimes, but yeah. uh, Trey, Trey, Trey could do some of that. I thought towards the end we should have thrown some different looks. It was a little predictable that RJ was going to get the ball was and go left, yeah. and it was the same play we had run against the previous opponent, and, and Michigan State was prepared for it. Um, so I don't know that Trey sort of ascended to, to being the star in his role he might have wound up being, he took a back seat a little I bit. I felt like Trey, in the first seven, eight games of the season, was really just, wow, these guys are fantastic. All around me, I've got fantastic players. I'm just going to feed them, you know, not worry about myself. And then I felt from games, say, seven or eight to about 20, he actually excelled at finishing, taking the ball to the basket, drawing double teams, and then yeah. passing passing off. And then I like very puzzling for me. I felt from games twenty to thirty-five or twenty to forty, he got he had the ultimate green light from three because his man was playing completely off him. Because even when he had the ball, they just played five feet off of him. And I thought he got baited to taking a bunch of threes, which he was probably encouraged to do from Coach K and John Shire, Chris Carroll. These guys are all saying, "Look, Trey, it doesn't matter that you're shooting 24 percent because cumulative stats don't mean anything." We want you to shoot your open threes and shoot it with confidence. And maybe, because I don't know, maybe he's a good three-point shooter in practice. You know, we don't know. He's a pretty good free-throw shooter. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, time will tell. Uh, okay. That's good analysis. I think I think Trey was consistent throughout the year. I'm not trying to rag on him on any level. But I don't think he improved in terms of, like, what he was able to contribute to the team on offense. I don't think we got more out of him. As the offense became sort of simpler, like a two-man game, like a two-man show, Yeah. obviously Trey had a lot of points against Virginia Tech. It just felt like all the other players faded to the background a little too much. It includes Alex O'Connell. It includes Cam Reddish, yeah. who Cam, Cam sort of maybe became more settled into a catch-and-shoot role, but, but it's hard to say he got a lot enigmatic. better. Throughout uh, the year, yeah, he was a big sort of question mark. Um, I see so, where you're, I, I sort of see what you're doing. Um, I, I sort of feel like it might be if somebody were to counter argue, they would say, "Look, it's going to be tough to measure or quantify one player's improvement from the beginning of the season to now." Well, what what we could examine and look at more closely is how did the team improve over the course of the season? Like, do the parts work together? Like. Well, do people grow into their roles and become superstars? J.J. Reddick said this in a recent podcast. There's an opportunity for everybody on a basketball court, no matter what level you're playing at, even if you're not one of the best players, to be a superstar in your role. In your role, yeah. So when I look back at the 15 team that won the title, Emil Jefferson was an absolute superstar in his role on that team. He wasn't one of the biggest scorers. You know, Matt Jones was... Well, I'm hesitant to say he was a superstar as well, but he was a dogged defender. Yeah. And 
you know, back then we were worried about Matt Jones taking too many threes and shooting a low percentage. No, Quinn, we weren't. No, Quinn we Cook, a little bit. No. Yeah, he had some, a lot of two-for-seven games. No, but he I don't, did not. Let's not argue about Matt Jones. Quinn Cook. His sophomore year was a great shooting year. That's why he oh, that had was too much belief. Year. He shot like 41% Later years. his sophomore year. He only took two or three, and, they, and they, he was wide open because no one guarded him. All right, so Matt Jones, Emil Jefferson, Quinn Cook got better and throughout the season – Became better contributors towards the team as well. Obviously, the freshman that year, okay. Tyus, got better. Tournament player of the year. In the, did the, he get better? Do you, know he, do you know what he did against Wisconsin when we played him? He was him the in, Final Four most December, valuable player. In December. I'm not saying he wasn't good at the beginning of the year. Yeah. I'm just saying he played his best at the end of the year. I mean, I thought he was pretty fantastic. He was fantastic the throughout. The entire, yeah. uh, Justice definitely came on. Justice like he, came on. He had a mid-season sort of slump or he was struggling with injuries but then NCAA tournament time and I read this a lot coming into this year's NCAA tournament is if Cam Reddish can produce like Justice Winslow did in terms of defense length and shooting and converting three or four threes a game like Justice did in the tournament Cam didn't Duke's gonna win it all Cam didn't feel fully bought into his role in this yeah. team and, and he I just did it and I, and I feel he's and, not the only one and Alex O'Connell didn't know what to do when he was on the court wasn't sure what he was supposed to do it changed every week yeah Yo, you're gonna play 30 minutes oh you're not gonna play at all right oh you're gonna play he went 11 he went know? from 0 to 35 to 3 Jack White same story uh, that could be hamstring issues, but yeah. But there are issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it gets hurt at the end. The caveat to all this is there were a ton of injury challenges and issues. When we look at this team as a whole, like when you look back at that 15 team, who was a disappointment? Like, who had a tough season? Who? Uh, Rashid Suleiman and Coach K got rid of him. <laughs> right, that's right. Very good, very good. But like, you know. Maybe Miles Plumlee? No. Nah, was Plumley, Plumley was on the team. Yeah. Okay. I actually yeah. saw Miles at, I guess at, the, everyone, at the concession stand at halftime yeah, at that I game. That. <laughs> uh, I guess everyone trended the right the right direction, peaked in the right way. That defense was really locked down. Yeah, and, really, really locked down. And to let you know how good Zion and RJ and Trey are, despite like half the team kind of having somewhat disappointing seasons, I think Javin had a successful season. You know, Javin had a successful season Javin for being had, him. Javin had a successful but final three games, I thought. Despite that, they almost still got there. Last year, despite sort of yeah. a lot of things going wrong, yeah. they almost got there. That's how much talent was there as well. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's, it was a bit of a mixed bag this year. But, like, ultimately we're going to remember Zion. We're going to remember RJ. And we have to sort of put them in perspective in our heads. We talked about before the season – where are these guys going to rank on our all-time top 10 Duke freshman list, right? And I, and I think it's pretty clear there was nobody better than these two guys that ever played freshman basketball at Duke. You could argue you could argue Jabari, maybe. You you had uh, and Bagley. Would you, you know, would I'll you trade? Zion's, uh, Zion's clearly one. Zion's clearly one. RJ's, you, can, you could argue that RJ isn't two, but I think he is. I think he is. I... Okay. Last point of defense for yeah. RJ. It's not his fault he wasn't surrounded by great shooters. You know, it's not his fault they ne- everybody gave him the ball and expected him to take those shots. And it's not his, like, you know, to the extent that we talked about hero ball throughout the season, we needed them to be a hero a lot of the time. A lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. And I thought his improvement came on the defensive end. I thought that's where a lot of his improvement came. Okay. Um, and as a leader, I thought he was a great leader. I, my... my so, the so, entire season, I was just 
trashing RJ for a shot selection for taking like 17 threes against Syracuse in the first game. I, that wasn't that much of a criticism anymore. It's actually really weird because I was criticizing him early on in the season for just putting his head down, attacking the basket with no optionality, only yeah. either finishing or drawing the foul. Now I'm criticizing him for passing poorly because <laughs> now he wants to pass, but his passes are too ambitious. They were just. I, I haven't done it, but if I look back on his stats over the last two or three weeks, I would. I think he's turning ball over at an astronomical level. Like his passes are too ambitious. And they're mostly on yeah. trying to get the ball to his teammates. Not, yeah, right? but, but so all, yeah. Which way do you want it? Not just to art, to uh, design, which is like okay, I'm not going to fault you for that, but like he tried to thread the needle to try to make a pinpoint pass to Javon Delore many times, which I don't think there's that high of an upside on a pass like that. That's we'll right. We'll just leave the pass to uh, to Trey. So I, I end up putting those two guys. Up. They're going to be at the top of my list when the, the next time we talk about it, if I ever make that list. But the real question is, where do these guys rank? As and this to me, the more interesting question is, where do these two guys rank? How good was their seasons? Was it as good as were they as you know? Are they top five or top ten? With these top five or top ten seasons ever played at Duke by a player? Um, Again, we, that, we, that we, depends we, how you define best season. Last time we had this conversation, you refused to define it, and then you clowned me for my list, so I'm not <laughs> going to let you bait me again. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, best seasons ever. We talked about best players, best careers. We never yeah. talked about sort of the best one-year stretch. Grand Hill, his senior year, was incredible and took a took a team with a, a relatively weak surrounding cast to the, to the NCAA Finals, and he was incredible his senior year. Was he? He was. It was the year before we got to Duke. You didn't was watch it? any basketball that year. I, I, you watched Kansas, not Duke, right? No, I, I, I wasn't a Duke fan, but I bet you his numbers are probably going to disappoint you. Well, he was a, he he became the point guard on that team. Was he? What was Jeff Capel doing? Hmm? What was Jeff Capel Jeff doing? Jeff Capel was playing some point, too. But he was. they're both out of position, essentially. Okay. Jeff Capel had a great freshman year, but and then when, when, you look at, year. when you look at Jeff Capel's career, yeah. you know he wasn't. He didn't turn out to be an NBA player. Right, yeah. like who did Grand Hill have surrounding him that were NBA players? Cherokee Parks, who was a junior, who ended up playing in the league, and he was good. It was a good team. It just wasn't, you know. Okay, so it, you're it, defining it wasn't as talented the success as the, of Grand Hill's senior season, primarily based not on his numbers, but because he took an under no, no, team to the title game. No, I haven't even looked at his numbers. We're just having a loose discussion here. We could have a, like a more complete one later. But, you know, let's take a quick look at his numbers. He averaged 17.4 points a game, 6.9 rebounds, 5.2 assists, 1.9 steals, 1.2 blocks. He was like a an all-around player, like a really, really good player. Shot 39% from three, shot 48% from two. So that's strong. He played 35.7 minutes a game, and we had a great year. We had a great year. And it was his team, so you know. You're, you're you're arguing that this particular season may be one of the the best was, Duke seasons of all time. We're depending look, on, yeah, depending we're, on how you define this. Yeah, best. we look back at who had the best, and he was a senior, and he was Grant Hill, who's okay, you know, NBA Hall of Famer. Okay, so Grant Hill, we look at Jason Williams' best season. We he look, had, he had two of them. He had two great seasons. He had two of them. Sure, we look at those years. How phenomenal those years are. Battier's senior year. One was of the most efficient scorers of all time. Incredible. Like, all-world defense as well. Back-to-back-to-back to back to back defensive player of the year. Look at... Jay- Highest basketball IQ I've ever seen. 
Look at J.J. Redick, senior year, even, scoring like 27 a game. Even junior year, but a bit one-dimensional. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then Christian Leitner. You know, Christian Leitner, one of the all-time great, yeah, of course. great seasons his senior year. So there's a lot of really terrific performances. Elton At the beginning Brand, of the year. Elton Brand, sophomore year. Elton Brand on the 99 team. Yeah, absolutely. He was the best player on that team. Nolan Smith, senior year. gets uh, People forget about how good he was. Because Kyrie went out, and then he had to really be the guy. He was phenomenally effective that year, and Shire and Singler were really good too. But I don't think they no. were as they Singler, weren't as Singler um, tailed off his junior and senior year. And they were good. Shire they were good. tailed off a bit too his senior year. Like he, John Shire went through a similar shooting slump, not quite as bad as Jack White, but I remember vividly ACC tournament early in the NCAA tournament. Shire could not buy a three, and Coach Kate just kept pounding into him. Keep shooting, keep shooting. You, we got your back. And he finally broke through, I think, against Baylor or Purdue. Sure, I wasn't making the point they should be on the list, just that they weren't as good as Nolan Smith that year. I was going to make that point if you would let me finish my sentence. Mm-hmm. All right, I so anyhow, like interrupting there's, a lot of, there's a lot of really great seasons in Duke history, and I think we have to sort of look at Zion and, and think about where, where it might belong. It's, I mean, he's up top. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's number one or not, but he's – He's he, up top. He went from he, he went from the discussion of is he going to be him, the best you're freshman ding him for his postseason run. No, no, I'm just saying he went from a discussion. Our discussion was are these going to be the best freshmen ever at Duke? To are these guys the best single season players at Duke ever as freshmen? Right. I never thought. I never thought uh, Jabari Parker or Bagley as good as he was last year. I never thought they were complete enough players and good enough players to really rival. The all-time Duke greats, yeah, and Zion has to, well, right? And okay. and you know, so it's interesting. That, yeah. I'm just saying, like our preseason expectations, these guys exceeded them, and that's what I'm going to remember. This is going to be the year of those guys. It's basically, this is what it's going to boil down to. It was the year of Zion. Yeah, it was a joy to watch him play. He was every game still. I, I just I, I just expect three or four mind-blowing athletic feats from him. Um, now my only sweat is hoping that the Chicago Bulls get him. <laughs> They've got a 12.5% chance right now. Maybe they can up it to 14%. It's a 0.5% um, chance the Sixers get him. Everyone has a chance of getting Not everybody. Guy, Not everybody. But, but yeah, it's, he's probably going to a bad team. A very and, bad team. A very bad team, and it's going to be instant... Instant, like I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching them all year next year. We get the it is a, one of the nice things now. Is we get, I I actually worry for him. I worry about the way he plays, the toll it's gonna take on his body, the injuries he might encounter, based on how he plays. And he's gonna he's gonna go up against guys who are three times more athletic than, say, Michigan State. I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna ask you I'm gonna ask you a series of questions. Okay, I'm ready. You just give me you give me yes or no short short explanation. We're already like an hour and eighteen minutes into this, so I can so think about it. Though, let, first, let, right? Let's wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do we win a national championship this year with Justin Tucker and Derek Thornton on this team? This is the last time I'm going to tell you it's not Justin. Oh, Jordan Tucker. <laughs> do we win a national championship if Jordan Tucker doesn't transfer last year and Derek Thornton didn't transfer the year before? I'm going to say no, and I think that is an easy no. Because they're going to be on the bench anyways. Well, Derek Thornton has essentially washed out. I, th- I think he still started for USC or came off the bench, but 
he was not who we thought he was, or maybe he just didn't develop the way we thought he was. And uh, Jordan Tucker is just a really good three-point shooter. Hmm? We think. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We'll play next year somewhere and we'll, we'll find no, out. He's already bit. playing for Butler. Oh, yes. He, he transferred mid-season. Oh, they let him so, play the second yeah, half of the year? Yeah, in the spring semester he was able to play at Butler. Oh. You know what? How did he do? He shoots the three pretty well, I think. All right, next question. Next question. Was it a mistake not to play Zion at the five for much, for for most of the season? Should Zion played the five in that Louisville comeback, right? Like without Javin and, and Bolden on the court, Zion's the rim protector, and we get to play sort of small. We can play that. My opinion that four is no. Out, one My opinions no. You 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 were okay with the general general strategy of having always having a big in the game with him, like. People. One of the things I read now, the criticism looking back, yeah. is Coach K never never really tried that as much as he should have. It might have unlocked like a faster style of play. You know, I just faster don't, style of play. We play pretty fast. I don't think we had the shooters. Like, I just don't think we had guys ready to step up into those roles. Yeah. At the beginning of the season, I wanted us to play like Zion, big man, and everybody else, three point shooters. But, Four out. But guess what? RJ is just not a three point shooter. Trey's not a three point shooter. He's a horrific shooter. Cam was not as good a three-point shooter I as I expected. I don't understand why every time there was a Duke game, they were like, oh, here's Cam Reddish, Duke's best three-point shooter. Why is he our best three-point shooter? Um, I But I, I feel like Zion is otherworldly defensive-wise as a help defender. I think he just does so much as a help defender. I feel like if he's bodying up a guy who's got four or five inches on him, or I guess, no, two, three, four inches on him, I just, I'd like him better as a free safety in defense. Yeah. He's just so good flying in when no one's expecting him. But then they did start expecting him. Then he started altering shots without even affecting, without actually touching the ball. Yeah, actually, I agree with you. At the beginning of the season, I would have gone the other way. And it was something I, I may not have been right about. Uh, real quick, Jordan Tucker did play 24 games for uh, Butler. Started nine of them. Shot 37% from three on volume. Taking five and a half threes a game. So the rest of his game doesn't look, you know, picked up some rebounds, but no other eye-popping numbers. We could have used him this year. I think we could have used him. Could have used the guy who shot 37%. We could have used Joey Baker volume. playing 10 minutes a game the first 10 to 20 games of the season. The other, He's probably better than Jordan Tucker. Well, that's the other mystery. I like mean, they, if they, he was, he would have played at all down the stretch. Like he, come on, they, they, un, they took the red shirt off him, and he played 12 minutes, and he took two or three three-pointers the whole season. He shot fifty percent from three this season. <laughs> was he one or two he or two went or four? One for two. I mean, it's unbelievable. He went five we, we for eleven in Canada, up. and I bet in practice with no no cameras on, he he converts eighty percent from three. Eighty percent, huh? All right. Well, we'll never know. I guess yeah, next year. Next year we'll find two. out. That's how. That's a three point shooting percentage <laughs> in a game. You divide it by two. It's a science. Next year, we're going to be watching Joey Baker play and, and, and like muttering to ourselves, oh, why did they play him last year? Do you, you want to talk about next yeah. season? Or is it too early? Um, I'm not quite ready to move on. Uh, are, we, are we ready to talk about next season? We don't even know who the roster is going to be. You know, we know we got Vernon Carey. You know, we know we got a couple of recruits. Boogie Ellis, Wendell Moore. Wendell Moore. But, you know... We, I think you know. For those of you listening who don't know, all the freshmen are leaving. Um, I, I've read a few <laughs> except for Joey Baker that Trey Jones might stay 
or he should stay, but it doesn't make much sense because you don't need to stay at Duke for another year to work on your jump shot. You can do that on your own. All okay. Your, all your defensive elite defensive um, defense could be used in the NBA, and you can just work on your jump shot by yourself. There's this old old mindset that says, hey, if you're not going to be a high draft pick, why would you come out, go back another year, improve your stock? But that doesn't happen anymore. First of all, you want to start the clock on your NBA free agency. You want to get in young. You can become a better player and spend more hours on your body with your own personalized coaches around the clock at NBA facilities. So, like, I'm just, I'm just it's always it's almost yeah. always seems like a mistake for guys to stay unless unless there's really a compelling reason. They just if the guy loves Duke and wants yeah. to come back, I'm all for it. I'm just saying, but I was I'm not pleasantly surprised to read it more than. I would say I read it in more than two spots mm. that it should be a consideration. Well, I'd love but, for having But again, the, yeah. these could be the same knucklehead reporters who are asking the dumbest questions to the players. Yeah, I think know? these guys are all leaving. They, they all knew they were leaving all year. It was ne- never something that was in doubt. Trey Jones is projected as a late first rounder. Even if he ends up being projected as a second rounder, I think he's gone. Yeah. I think he's gone. He'll get a guaranteed contract anyways if he goes in the early part of the second round. And he'll start working on his game and join his brother in the league, go with his buddies. I, I just, But I guess there's some small chance he'll come back. But let's say he's gone. Right. We know Zion, RJ, and Cam are gone. Yeah. We know Joey Baker is going to play next year. Jack White will be a senior? Or was he? Senior captain. Yeah, he'll be a senior next year. We have no idea what we're going to get from Jack White. Bolden is Bolden coming Wait, back? What do you mean? You have no idea what to expect. Um, it's going to be he's going to he put Jack White with the cape on from earlier in the season, or you know, limited minutes in the Michigan State game. But I still remember some defensive plays. He's a really good defender straight on. He's not he's not a good help defender, but he's a good defender straight on. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to be the a cornerstone the of of a, of a of a big time team. Like he had a That's chance tough. this year to do that. Okay. You know, so well, maybe maybe he'll be more ready next let me, year. Let but... me just slow your roll right now. Yeah. After the 2009 season, we got destroyed by Villanova in the Sweet 16. The the whole narrative after that 2009 NCAA tournament for Duke was Duke doesn't have the athletes to compete for a national championship. Kyle Singler, John Shire, uh, Greg Paulus at the time 2007. These guys aren't athletes enough to compete. And you know what? We we threw in Zubac and Lance Thomas. We won a national championship. I'm sorry. Are you comparing Jack White to John Shire and Kyle Singler? Jack no. White's like basically played a very limited role. Had some success for like a Thomas, ten game stretch. Brian Zubac. Zubac. Jack White probably played more minutes than Zubac did his junior year. Zubac, I guess. You but, know, but is a decent point, comparison. But, but he was seven foot one. You know, Jack White. Tony Brinkman was Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to who's yeah. who's going to play on this team next year? Who's going to be the major players? Okay. The big question mark. The maybe. big question mark is yeah. who else is Coach K going to bring in? Right. Because that's going to determine. And then to, to be completely honest, we don't with know you, what the team looks like. Is my to point. Be totally None of these guys are. Yeah. Like we've clearly missed on the top top recruits thus far. Vernon Carey's a top five guy, but we missed on all the other top like ten guys. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to go like twenty six and ten with guys who are program guys, right? Would it be the worst thing in the world? The problem is we, we have haven't. A transcendent guy? The problem is we haven't developed program guys really. Like Jack White and Alex O'Connell are the only guys. I mean, I don't think Bold, Bolden. Goldwire? You think Bolden's coming back? Good question. Uh, I mean. I don't know. I don't know the I answer. Know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's just tired of 
Maybe he's just tired. Maybe he just wants to graduate. Maybe he wants to graduate and he likes playing his role and he's just working on getting better still. Yeah. But it doesn't feel but, like but the program his, is serving him. Yeah, certainly his star has come down from where it was coming in. Yeah. He'll get an NBA look no matter for sure, what. For He'll sure. get a look. He, he may, I don't think may not be drafted I, in the second round. I don't think he gets drafted. Um but yeah, I don't think we can do a full preview of next year's team yet. We just have complete incomplete information. I, I guess you know? I guess maybe what I'm looking forward to is for the last since Kyrie, I think, since what year was it, 2011, we've been so dependent on incoming freshmen. Wouldn't it be refreshing to be like Bruce Pearl or Chris Beard and just take guys who are underappreciated, not these clear NBA lottery picks, and see what you can do? And I, I, Coach is probably too old to say, look, I'm not going to rebuild. I'm not going to do that. I'm just saying it would be. I'm just shaking my head at you because that's not what's going to happen. We're we're gonna recruit five. There's gonna be five or six freshmen that come in. Five or six? You think there are that many marquee guys left? They don't all have to be marquee guys. And okay, so, I, I someone's think... gonna reclassify. Oh yeah. Just yeah, like the we, last two we years. About that. I mean, who who reclassified? Uh, R.J. Barrett reclassified. Joey ba- the Joey Baker no. Yes. Joey Baker reclassified the previous year. Uh, Bagley reclassified. Yeah. These are the best. Rec- these are the biggest recruits we got. Andre Dawkins, for reclassifications. Derek Thornton, they all reclassified. Yeah, so you know, if we need a player, Coach Hayes is going to convince some some poor kid to reclassify. Likely a top recruit to reclassify, so we can headline he may the have team. To, he may have to compete with Jeff Capel, the reclassifying king. Because listen, Zion Williamson is about to get like there's about to be a bidding war for Zion, right? And everyone's talking about, and it's clearly obvious that he benefited yeah, from this huge sure. stage yeah, of being sure. at Duke. Yeah. And like next year, that role is open, and maybe it's going to be Vernon Carey, right? But, well, but no, maybe Vernon, somebody should yeah. want to come in and be that guy. Yeah, I think it, his name is Matthew Hurt. Matthew Probably Hurt. I don't know who he is, but Haven't looked he's, him up like, yet. he's like a top five guy. Uh, I bet. I bet John Shire is talking to him right now as yeah. we speak. There's never going to be another Zion, exactly. But, Come like, on. you know, every 20 years is Zion. Generational is a word that I'm tired of hearing. I mean, I'm just tired. I'm it, tired it's not once every 30 years. I mean, you could say Vince Carter was tired. like that. Michael Jordan was like that. But, like, there aren't that many guys I've seen play in the ACC that are like, that athletically like Zion. There just haven't been. It's only been a couple. You said the same thing last year, Marvin Bagley, first half of the season. You said those exact same words. Bagley is a special athlete, for sure. He was a special athlete. Apparently we say it every year. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's very few guys. But, uh, but yeah, then we'll, we'll see. We'll keep our ears to the ground for the next few were weeks. Were you done with your questions? Uh, yeah, pretty much. That was it. That was it? That was the questions. I was ready for more. Uh, Just, yeah. What do you think is going through Coach K's head right now? I think Coach K is super comfortable with the idea that sometimes you win in the tournament and sometimes you don't. How could you not be? Yeah. Forty years into your career. Right. He knows this. Right. I think he's real proud of his team. I think he's really proud of I think he's super happy to have been around these guys. He knows these guys are gonna carry the flag for the program. This year was incredible for the Duke brand. Yeah. It was literally like, the storyline the entire college basketball season from beginning to end. It's still every day. Even Callen Coward. Final, even this final four, they're talking about Duke. Callen Coward starts Zion. a show every time with Zion. 
Like, and we're talking about Duke for like the last couple weeks, you know. Because I stopped listening to him. Doug Gottlieb was on hosting a few times, and he's always a little negative about Duke, but. He's the guy who called the Duke players unathletic enough to win it all in yeah, 2009. I remember that. Coach K said, oh, Doug Gottlieb should know because he was not, never very athletic himself. <laughs> Doug Gottlieb played for uh, Oklahoma hey, City hey, or Oklahoma does that State, sound like right? A petty comment to you? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, he was. I think he was a point guard for Oklahoma State. Yeah, he transferred back in there. the day. Yeah, yeah he was, he was a good, ferocious, good player. He was a good player. Defender. Yeah, he was a good player. Sort of like Wojo. He played with somebody. He played with a guy who went to the NBA. Was real good. But I can't remember who it was. Sort was of it? the head case. I can't like remember. Nah, I can't remember who it was. Randy. I played Randy Rutherford. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Uh. Yeah. Did you Did you have some end of the season questions or thoughts before we we sort of yeah, the, move on to the, tracking the, NBA the, draft the, and recruits? The, the, the last and, sort of thing is just an an, an issue of framing. And narratives like people tend to go with the easiest narrative at the conclusion of the NCAA tournament all the time. Yeah, you know, like not in recent memory, but say four or five years ago, everyone was like, "Oh, Tom Izzo is just a magician in March. Like he always goes to the Final Four. Then he started losing the first round, the second round, third round, and he didn't go there. Right? Uh, it's results-based narrative. Exactly. Jay sure. Wright before his first title run, they're like, "Oh." Jay Wright never wins. And then he won two out of three, and then it was, oh, this guy's the greatest of all time. Tony Bennett, he can never get there the way he plays. They play too slow. And they nearly lost multiple times. Uh, They should have lost. They should have lost. now going in, they're the best (laughs) team. And so, like, it's just, a lot of it's just silliness. You know, they're they're probably 10 10 to 12 teams. You know, that's the tired argument. 10 to 12 teams each year can win it. But if you understand math, you understand, like, 10 to 12 teams can win it. That means it's literally impossible. That means for a, a program as good as Duke or UNC or Kentucky, you're going to get a few looks every decade and you may cash in one time. And that's, I mean, that's what happens. From the Sweet 16 on, you're in danger of losing every game because every team brings it and they're all good. They're all well coached. Regardless of how they're constructed, some teams are have great NBA talent. Some teams have really, really good juniors and seniors. And so I, I sort of feel like it was a disappointing end to the season, but I felt very blessed to be able to root for Zion and all the other guys. I'm a little bit wanting for continuity. Like, I, I miss the continuity. You know, I miss the Shire, Singler, Nolan Smith. Like, we sort of knew and we sort of appreciated seeing the evolution of these guys as players for four years. Um, but yeah, I just, I'll still watch the final four probably, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I thought that was all really well, sucks. well said. And I agree with mostly everything you said there. And I too sort of year like miss some of the continuity. I don't enjoy the idea that the guy's coming back this year. Like, I don't like thinking Jack White isn't going to be a big factor next year. I don't like thinking Alex O'Connell might stay buried on the bench. Right. But it's hard not to just imagine we're going to keep recruiting over people and either you're good enough or you're not right and like so you know the the kid from Michigan State who beat us was a walk-on you know Cassius Winston not Cassius the guy with the three-pointer McGoins Uh, no no the guy with the last three-pointer the big guy Uh, McGoins no not McGoins Kenny Kenny Goins he was uh, not, not Goins. Yeah, Goins, Goins, yeah. McQuaid Goins. was a four-year player. Yeah. He was, he was a four-year he was walk-in. Team. He was on the team in the 2015 title game. Yeah, he, he was the only guy. 
right. yeah, if I, you're a senior. But, like, I do have some, some envy of looking at, like, the teams, the program players. I still sort of am left wondering why we can't have a two-track system. Right. And a two-track system wouldn't involve recruiting five freshmen or four freshmen to start every year. It would involve recruiting two or three starters with some, like, second-tier recruits. But what we've been unable to do is keep these guys on the roster because yeah. they, they, if they're too ambitious, they want to transfer. And it just feels to me like at least, you know, and I'll, I'll stay on my soapbox about this, at least early in the season and, you know, early conference play, like, you should have a larger rotation. Yeah. You should just have a larger rotation and keep guys bought in. Yeah, kind of like Kentucky yeah. does. So they you, do a little better well, usually. So than you that. want a more of a composite construction of the team. I also did think a little bit more about Calipari and Kentucky. So Coach K has cornered the market on the elite, elite recruits one and lately, done. Lately, lately, last two years. He cleans us yeah. late year after year, brings in four or five more starters, right? Cal used to do that in the early 10s. Um, did he? He went to four out of five no, Final had, Fours. He had a and, lot of success. He, he won one title. Yeah. It could be debated. Like uh, It wouldn't be implausible to say he could have had three outside of a, a few lucky bounces here and there. Yeah, I was just saying, look, Cal maybe did it better. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, Coach K is 72 now. Yeah. You know, and... It doesn't appear he's going away anytime soon. I mean, I think Capel left because he this knew he knew, he knew Coach K wasn't <laughs> retiring in the next year or two. Yeah. Uh, and, I swear, do do you feel like Coach K is? Uh, do you think you know he's not in the field position, but maybe he's like drinking some wine, thinking like, man, that was I that was a really really good opportunity. I had such a good team. I had such good. Ta- I had Zion freaking Williamson. And I really wanted the sixth. You know, I really wanted another Final Four because... Do you think Coach K is a guy who second-guesses himself? I don't think he second-guesses himself in public to the media. But how could you not, as a deep thinker, think, what else could I have done? How could I have done things differently? How could I have gotten the number one, number two, number three, number ten recruit? I think I don't think he thinks that way at all. I think he leads with his gut. And he doesn't second guess himself. Lives and dies with the results. Yeah. yeah, he just he goes to war with the the way he wants to go to war. Yeah, and he goes with his guys, the guys he trusts the most, and that's it. And hey, you be he doesn't you. apologize. You for guys it. were made for this moment. You you be you. Yeah. Oh well, almost got there. <laughs> almost got there. What a year. Thanks, everybody, for hanging in with us. Uh, I know we weren't always regularly releasing podcasts like we were the year before. I, you know, Last thing, Mike, I just, I just feel like there were um, points throughout the season, like the Louisville game, which we should have lost, but we won. There's just all these points where I just feel like you've got to be fixing this. There were opportunities. You've got to change. There were opportunities to adjust. Change. Other teams are, are scouting us. They're just going to not let us beat, beat them by – allowing driving lanes. They're just going to cut it off. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel as a fan that it was a little bit of an opportunity missed. I know it's a bit random how close some of these games are. But the Michigan State game was a game I thought we should have won. And I thought we should have won decisively. And we didn't. Right? And I thought we sh- I thought that when we were up 30-21. I thought our scheme on offense was just 
a little lazy. I'm agreeing. Yeah. Right? Lazy, one-dimensional. Yeah. And I thought sort of you know, we, we, we enunciate our issues with the way the program operates in terms of like, you know, being more inclusive of the other talent on the team, even when you have top-heavy talent. I think there's benefits from doing that, you know. But ultimately, I'm a Duke fan. I, I love what Coach K does for the program. I mean, we have the best program. It's hard to complain too much. Coach K is only going to be around for a couple more years, and we should appreciate it while he's around. And, you know, we won't have Coach K to kick around anymore, but we also just have to have to appreciate it. How long did My you... wife is, is, is beeping me now. How, how She's long... been trying to get in touch with me. I have to at least ring her. How long did Joe Paterno coach for? <laughs> when, when did uh, he retire? Let's, let's not compare. Let's not bring out Paterno. No, I'm not bringing him up for that. And I'm just saying, like, how, can, how long can somebody go for? Honey, hold on. I'm finishing up my podcast. The season is uh, the season podcast is ending, guys. I have to go back to my real life now. I'm just you know, with hour and forty minutes, Peter. We got to wrap this up. What I think, do you think we should keep going. There's lots to get wanna, off our chest. We can we can do another episode next week and talk a little more. It was nice knowing you guys. Thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, hopefully next year's team is better and uh, come see us summer league to watch Zion. Next year's team. Zion next year's team is not going to be better. I actually cannot wait for summer league. If anyone wants to come out and uh, put together a Duke basketball contingent to uh, watch Zion uh, be too good to play, uh, let us know. Send us an email, dukebasketballjunkies at uh, gmail.com. Any feedback on the season, appreciate it. Thoughts. If anyone has any really good thoughts and, and, and feedback, not just for us, but really about the season, comments about how we feel about it, um, get it out in an email to us, and we'll, we'll read it on the air in the next, the next podcast. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Peter. Nice hanging out with you. Good year. Good year, guys. All right. Go do. Go do.